Hi, podcast friends. We're coming at you this week from the archives. Many of you found this pod just this year, so I'm sharing one of our greatest hits from last year, 2021, in case you missed it. It's one of my personal favorites, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Startup CPG podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Freitag. Mind the gap. You may know the famous London Underground warning, but do you know anyone who minds the font? Enter Kirk Visola. Kirk is an active member of our startup CPG community with a heart for sharing his expertise and helping people navigate the complex world of packaging and branding. He has a no bullshit approach to life and client work. With over 20 years of design expertise working with some of the largest brands in the world, he now operates his own agency, Mind the Font, making his caliber of work available to brands of all sizes. Listen in as Kirk shares about why he started his own agency tips for approaching a packaging project, and how to build a great long-term relationship with a designer. Hi, Kirk. How are you today? Hey, great. How are you? Doing awesome. So excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. It's pretty cool. I'm happy with the Startup CPG fam's doing, and I'm, I'm glad you're jumping on board and taking care of this whole podcast shit. It's awesome. I would love if you could start off by telling us about Mind the Font and your work. Absolutely. Well, Mind the Font's an agency I formed. I mean, I've been doing graphic design for a long time and and I just formed an agency because I was tired of the of the, the bullshit corporate stance of needing to be at work and having to have ass in the seat and not having my ideas listened to. And I really felt like my ideas and my creativity was being handcuffed, for lack of a better term, from working with through project managers and in different fields of, of where I was working before in the corporate structure. Just wasn't loving it. And I knew that I needed to get out just because it was where at my soul and I figured I've been doing this for a while. I have enough skill and I have enough people that I know that can get me work. Then I'm just going to start on my own. And, and in 2019, March, I started on my own. And had I known that COVID was going to hit the next year, I just would have uh, stuck it out at that terrible job and started during during the time we're all able to work from home. Being able to work from home, I've been doing this for over 20 years and I never worked in an office until about 10 years ago. Before then, it was all, you know, like I started when it was fucking iOmega zip drives and shit. You know, like, I don't know if people listening look up iOmega, letter I Omega zip drives, and it's just these fat ass floppy disks. 10 and 20 megabytes. It's like, oh, damn, right? This is amazing. And then you switched over to CDs. And then finally, this thing called File Transfer Protocol came out. And that's when things started really to happen. So I was always working independently. And I just love that idea of being able to work for myself and work with other people. Because I don't like to think of myself as working for people. Also, it kind of feels weird, but I like to work with people and work with teams and organizations. Great. Thank you. And what's the focus of Mind the Font? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, We primarily focus in branding and packaging, and that's all things branding and all things packaging. So uh, most of the times we we don't do brand strategy. We can help with that. But usually like brand strategy, someone comes to us with everything in the, all the ducks in a row, and then we take all the information that they give us and make it into branding and make it into packaging. Excellent. And I'm guessing that after this this, people are going to want to follow you because every time I talk to you, I'm super inspired and amazed by all the work you do. So 
Can you tell us so that it's here at the beginning of the episode? How can people find you? Where can they follow you? You have weekly clubhouse sessions. I'm wondering if you can tell us about those so that people know where they can find more Kirk in the world after this. Yeah, more Kirk in the world. The funny thing about this Kirk is that I'm the only one. So Kirk Visola, it's me. If you find me, it's either good or bad. But, <laughs> but you can follow me on, on Instagram at mind the font. So it's like mind, like mind your manners or mind the gap that they use in the UK. So mind the font. So it's at Instagram and also on club house my friend andy kurtz of buttermilk creative who's also another kick-ass designer uh, and he owns owns uh, his, his studio we have a, a thing on thursdays from startup cpg and you can go to startupcpg.com on their slack channel and and join up there it's really fucking cool it's 3500 contacts there of whatever you can think of people are there so we have on on clubhouse in the startup cpg room cpg packaging design with kirk and kurtz so he's the Kurtz in the equation. I'm the Kirk. And every Thursday, we just talk all things design. We try to stick mainly to packaging, but we also go into the mindset of, of design when you're going into it. We go into clients and how to try to deal with them properly and, and wrangle their ideas in and kind of, you know, like herding sheep almost or herding cats, more likely. All these crazy ideas they have and try to get them to pinpoint and focus to make sure that what we deliver to them is what's best served for not only their product, but also the demographic that they're trying to hit as well. And so we talk all things packaging, all things design on there. And that's Thursdays on Clubhouse under the Starts Greenhouse. And that's at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. And then also on Mondays, this is a little bit of fun. I, I do something called Mondays with Marilyn. And that's my mom. And every Monday we jump on at 12 p.m. Pacific time and we just talk. And, you know, we talk all things about her what it was like for her raising, you know, four black men in, in the world and growing up and seeing all the changes and non-changes that have happened in society. And so it's just a fun conversation. Mainly, I just talk to her to get her to laugh and see what kind of foul shit I can say just to kind of get her to chuckle. And <laughs> so it's it's fun. It's a good time. So Mondays with, with Marilyn at 12 and then Thursdays, you have CPG packaging design with Kirk and Kurtz at 12. And those are both Pacific time. Awesome. I love it. I think it's really cool how much time you spend and are willing to spend with the community. Community. Like for myself, I've been able to join the packaging session a few times for my work at Live Bar and ask questions. And you just make yourself available as an expert for people and you're willing to share your attitude and mindset and your tips. And I just think it's so valuable to the community. So I really encourage everyone listening to take advantage of those opportunities that Kirk is putting out in the world because they're super awesome and valuable. No, thanks. I appreciate that. I don't, it's weird because I don't even think about it. I figure I can share knowledge with people. It's not going to cost me anything to help. It will cost you to, to get me to design shit because that's where the, <laughs> that's where the cost is. But what's, what's the harm in having a conversation with someone? I've met so many people just, just through social and talking to them, fellow designers and other business owners. And, and it's, it's been really good just to be open and honest. And you hear me on this podcast. This is how I am all the time. Like I talk to my mom this way. I talk to everybody this way. It just, it's just in my blood, I guess, to not bullshit and just get to the point. I love that authenticity. It's so valuable, especially in a world where it can be unfortunately hard to find authenticity. Yeah, absolutely. Especially real quick, no cap on Clubhouse. There's just so many like busters and fakers on there who talk a big game. And and I mean, that I'm just specifically picking on Clubhouse, but there's a lot of places where people just talk a big game, but don't have anything to back it up. They don't fall through on things. And, and when I was growing up, I was told, you know, two things. One, if like my dad, I had him for a while until he passed from cancer, but he would always tell us, 
if we came home with a bad grade, he'd ask, is this the best you can do? And it really stuck with me because most of the time it was no, of course, it wasn't the best we could do. But it also shows you like, why are you going to do something if you're not going to try your best? You know, and that led to work ethic, with also, which also led to being truthful, like just be honest. You know, if you're honest from what your perception of honesty is, not from a narcissistic point of view where you're lying to make yourself feel like you're right, but the, the truth from how you see it, it never changes. You know, if something happens, you always just tell the truth. And so those lessons really stuck with me in how I handle my business when, when dealing with customers and talking to people. It's just, I'm going to be upfront with you. Of course, there may be instances where you need to euphemize something to someone, like you can't tell them that their baby's ugly, right? But you can say, oh my gosh, your baby, oh, it's so cute. It might look nice with a different outfit, right? So that's that's how you have to kind of finesse things. But yeah, I've learned some very valuable lessons. And I figure I can, if I can help people learn from mistakes that I've made and also help them prepare future endeavors from the knowledge that I have. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. I'd like to dig in a little more about how you started Mind the Font, maybe your background before that led you into it. And I'm also hoping you'll include the story about the awesome name because I absolutely love the name Mind the Font. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Well, four scorn seven years ago. No, when I first got into design, I didn't know what design was. I've drawn my whole life. I've read comic books. I used to go to the greeting card section when I go to the grocery store. I've just always been fascinated with words on paper and images. And I never knew why. I was actually pre-med when I met my ex-wife and she was taking, yeah, and she was taking design classes. And mind you, I'm from a little town called Modesto. And Modesto, California is the home of E.N.J. Gala Winery. E.N.J. Gala Winery is, well, always flip-flopping one and two with Constellation Wines as, as the largest winery in the world. So my ex's father, my father outlaw, as I call him now, he uh, was the head of the creative services department there. He was able to be my mentor. I knew nothing about design. My my ex was taking graphic design classes. I saw no relevancy in it. I thought it was stupid. It was subjective. I was used to two plus two equaling four. And I was used to having set rules and when I'm doing something because I wanted to have that structure. And it was weird because when you when you think about it, design itself is art, but then art is subjective, but there's also certain rules that need to follow. So you know when good design and bad design happens. And from there, I just started taking classes. I, I became really interested in it and um, started doing freelance work, started our own company where my ex and I were working together and then worked for several different agencies and worked with different brands like Safeway and Purina, Motorola, Dole, uh, Mike's Hard Lemonade, and other ones, Ready Pack Foods, of course, E&J Gala Winery, Foster Farms. So all these different brands I've worked with throughout the years. And you kind of start learning how to, to finesse and, and pick up different skill sets. Like I've done circular work, I've done marketing work, brochures, flyers, PowerPoints, packaging, logos. So you kind of run the gamut of things. And I realized at one point, like I was saying, the last job I was at, it was just hurting my soul, for lack of a better word. I'd go there, go there stressed. I didn't like how I was being treated. And finally, I just said, fuck it. And my wife and I were on vacation in the UK and in, in England. And we're sitting there and I'm I'm sketching out ideas for my company. And so I'm getting ready to leave. Like, I'm just done. And I'm sketching out ideas. And you always hear on the London Underground, mind the gap, short, mind the gap. And, and my wife goes, why don't you just call it mind the font? It's like, holy fuck. God damn it. That is brilliant. And one of those things that I wish... I wish I would have thought of, but I didn't. So I have to give her full credit for it. She's a genius and she's nothing to do with design, but she was able to see it from her perspective because I was in, you know, I was deep in the forest and she just, and I couldn't see, it, couldn't tell the trees from the forest. And she just said, oh yeah, just call it mind the font. So that's, so that's how I got the name and, and I've been doing it ever since. 
but just I mean, this this will kind of go back, but just the chances of of me being a designer, a graphic designer, is is slim to none. There's a survey that went out, I think it was by Design Census or DesignSurvey.org, that interviewed roughly ten thousand, like nine thousand nine hundred people or something like that. And out of that, three percent of those designers were black. So the fact that um, I was in a town with mainly at that time five to six black families in it in Modesto. There's tons of Latinos, mainly uh, Mexican, but there was no there was no parameter or no means of me knowing anything about graphic design. I just happened to fall upon it. So I happened to fall upon graphic design. I happened to get a world class mentor, like no joke. The guy was designing things for global, you know, overseeing global looks and stuff for for the company. So I had him as a mentor, still do. And then I just happened to get lucky by finding my profession, finding someone to, who could mentor me and finding someone who was who was nice about it. So when you talk about, oh, it's nice to have that access for you to be so accessible, it's like, well, I have to think about where I came from and like how I got it. I, it was lucky for me to have that access. So why not give other people what limited knowledge I have? I don't fucking know everything about design. I don't know everything about fonts and type, but I can try to share what I've learned and acquired over the years that have worked best for me in my situation. And it's just been a real cool and fortunate experience. I honestly can say that, you know, when they say you love something, you'll never work a day in your life. That's bullshit. When you love something, you'll work really fucking hard and stress about everything. But at the end of the day, you love it. <laughs> so that's, yeah. Um, and that's, that's kind of the message I've learned. What did it look like to narrow your focus at Mind the Font? And how did you get your early clients? Right. It was, it was actually pretty telling. I think, and I'm saying this kind of not braggadociously, but just confidently. I'm very good at what I do. And if I try to do anything design related, I may have to start, you know, stretching my wings and, and working out some muscles that I haven't used before. Like if I'm doing a brochure, if I'm doing a sales sheet, it's like that's something I don't normally do. But once I get into it, I just fall back in love with it. And so this passion, my passion really came from, you know, where I first fell in love was wine, you know, like working on wine labels and working on, on seeing how things worked. And from a spatial standpoint, from a layout standpoint, and it's just, I fell in love with it. And it kind of got me back to my roots from the branding and packaging aspect. And I love making logo marks and things of that nature. But the biggest focus, was of how I got clients was just people I've worked with before. I like to work with people I like. <laughs> I'm not going to work with assholes. I'm going to work with people I want to go have a coffee with. I'm going to go, you know, or a cocktail with. I don't want to work with people just for a paycheck. And uh, there's one one person in particular, Pete Brennan, good, really good friend of mine. And he had a couple projects that he was working on. He's like, hey, can you help me out with this? And I was like, sure. So from him and then another other friends of mine have contacted me. So I've been very lucky and fortunate to have have a very good system with people in, in higher places at companies that come to me for work because they know that that my quality of work is agency standard, like large agency standard, but I don't have the large agency price tag attached to it. And it's like I do it quickly. It's good work, sometimes great work when I get lucky. And they know I'm not going to screw them over and they know I'm going to be attentive and, and answer emails and, and be collaborative. And I think I've just been, honestly, I, I, my entire career has been one long streak of luck from getting into it, but also finding clients and maintaining it. So I'm very fortunate to, to do what I do and I'm happy doing what I do. So when did I get my first client? When did I focus on, on branding and packaging? Well, branding and packaging, I love. And I got my first client from just luck 
in having good rapport with people I've worked with before. And at what point did you get involved with Startup CPG? Oh, shit. I'm trying to think. So, so Daniel is crazy ass. I met him one day at a mixer for a different group. And he's like, hey, what's up? I'm like, yeah, what's up? Nothing much. And we, and we just kind of hit it off. We just like bullshit and small talked. And then a couple months later, he reached out to me like, hey, I don't know if you remember me. I'm like, of course I remember you. How's it going? Good, good. And we started talking from there. And this is when he was just getting things going. And he's like, would you like to help? I'm like, yeah, I'd love to help. And the next thing I know, he's he's come up with a, a logo. He's designed stuff. He's put together this, honestly, mini, mini faction of the startup CPG crew. And he came back to me. He's like, yeah, so this is what we're doing. I was like, holy shit, you really gotten along. Yeah. And anytime he needs uh, help with stuff, I try to help out and like doing the the packaging room with with Andy and things of that nature. So I just I just got hooked up through Daniel. Honestly, like seriously, I don't even know what I'm doing. Like on, on the startup CPG team, there's so many fucking talented people there, and the network of it. Like I'm I'm not saying this to kiss anybody's ass because that's the last thing I do, but the network's insane, and the amount of talent in the network from all the different skill sets is insane. So I'm very fortunate to be part of it, and so I got involved through startup CPG through Daniel and just kind of hitting it off one day networking. So that was it. That's awesome. I'm so glad you're in the startup CPG community and you've provided such amazing value to members. I think it's so cool that a person can join the startup CPG community, especially like the Slack community. And within hours, days, you can be hitting it off and chatting with amazing people who are going through the same things you are or are service providers and you can be learning from them and finding resources. And it's just a really amazing, unique community. I think so too. I think there's a certain synergy and and vibrancy and this like really cool, eclectic mix of stardom and awesomeness and just crazy wild dreamers that come on there. And it's a lot of fun to be part of. Yeah. I'd love to get a few tips from you on navigating packaging in CPG, because I think it's a really tricky area, at least in my experience at Live Bar, because it's something that you actually physically print and can be really rough if it's done wrong. You can spend too much money on it, not enough money on it. So I'm curious if you have any tips on if you have a packaging project, where do you see people throw away money or lose money in the wrong places? And where do you see people get the best return on their investment in packaging if they have a project? I'd love to hear any of your advice. Yeah, that's a damn, that's a fucking great question. Because me selfishly as a designer, I want to say spend money on your packaging. But there's certain things that need to come before you even have the packaging. This will sound stupid, but people sometimes don't even have a name. And you may think like, oh, I have this name, but is it your name? The name you come up with is the defining factor for your brand. It's what people hear first. It's what should automatically associate it with something um, as far as what it needs to be. So for instance, if you name if you name your brand Nike, but you spell it N-I-K-K-E-E-Y-Y, well, Nike is going to come after you and you're have to change your name, right? That's a stupid example, but I've seen shit where, where people can't use the name that they're given. And you go to launch and you do all this stuff. And next thing you know, it's like, oh, you can't use that name. Well, you're only new once. So that really can hurt a business. The next thing is having a product. And that sounds stupid also, but if you're making candy bars out of your kitchen, it's way different than making candy bars out of a, a co-packer and uh, a co-manufacturer, right? You have a different formulation. You're going to have different heat. You're going to have different, and all that stuff, you know, Brandon Hernandez came on last week on instead of Andy because Andy was off fucking off or whatever. No, I'm kidding. He was on vacation. But Brandon, Brandon came in and he was explaining all that, like all different aspects of something that you make in your kitchen is 
not going to be the same as something you try to mass produce. So you have to really dial that in too. So your product is consistent. And then those are the first two things. The next thing that if you really want to be successful, you have to have a name and a product, I think is a brand strategy. You have to have a voice for your for your brand. You have to have some type of empathy. You have to have a story that make people relate to you. Doesn't matter how cool the name is, doesn't matter what you think about it, it needs to be rele- relevant to your consumer. So you need to be thinking about all the things that happen with your brand, all the things that tie into your brand to make it truly the trifecta, like product, look, and then also heart or mission. Like those are the things that you really want to tie in. And then after you have a brand strategy and everything else, that's where the design comes in. And then my job as a designer is to take the information that you give me from the brand strategy and then formulate that into a look and a feel that that best reflects your brand and think about how that can move forward and how that can evolve eventually and solidify itself as no longer being a startup, but actually a household name. And those are things that really need to be, be thought out. So think of a name, make sure your product is, is ready for mass scale. Even though you may be starting off small, you should be thinking of scaling. Think of the actual strategy and heart of your brand and then work on the packaging and all those things. And, and if you get that down, the next part is totally up to having the right connections and chance. I mean, that's that's pretty much it in any field, especially if you're a startup. Like, do you have the do you have the connections to get the non-GMO that you need or the, the USD or organic or the distribution channels? Like, do you have a UNFI contact? Can you get into your local markets? And it's just all the different avenues about hustling and knowing who to talk to when you're hustling. That's after everything's dialed in. But but yeah, so I don't know if that really helps. Yes, that's super helpful. I think that it's important not to think about the design and the packaging in a vacuum, but to think about all the other aspects. And I know I'm guilty of sometimes going to a designer, not having my project fully fleshed out. And I think it's important to think about all those pieces so you don't have extra iterations of a design or package that are unnecessary for the designer to go through and are unnecessary for you when you could have fleshed out those areas before you started the design process. Absolutely. And you also don't want to waste, you don't waste time trying to think of something or, or design something before it's ready because that's a waste of resources. So as much as I hate to say it, your design aspect shouldn't be, it should be further down the line. Now, if you're going to present a concept to someone like for a pitch deck or something like that, like you have to put together a package or whatever, put together whatever uh, you can, as long as you have the, the name down, name and a product, you can put together a package explaining it and kind of walking people through it because it hasn't been launched yet. And usually those presentations like, hey, this is what we're thinking and this is what it could be. And then you go through the series of stuff and try to keep something if the client's really blown away by it, keep something close or just go back to the starting board. So there are times where you're going to have to say, I need a stand in for right now. And I know I have to go back and fix it. But try your hardest to really have everything dialed in before you go to market. Can you share some tips on how to be an ideal client? What's the best way for a client to show up in order for you to be able to do your best work? Organization, trust and collaboration. You need to be organized. You need to have all your ducks in a row before you go to anybody who specializes in something, whether it be going to like someone like Brandon, who's a co-pack, anything that goes in a package wizard, you have to go to him with all the all your ducks in a row because you don't want to waste his time and you also don't want to look you know like like you don't know what you're doing you have to have you have to be willing to to be trustworthy like trusting of the person you're going to also like you don't want to pull that stuff together and you don't want to go to someone and then already have your mind made up what you have to do if you're going to the person that knows more than you trust them to do their job like trust them to tell you the right thing to do make sure that you, you know you're not getting 
the wool pulled over your eyes, right? You're not being bullshit, but you're not going to go to someone who's like renowned for doing something and just to be bullshit, hopefully, right? And the other thing is be collaborative. Be willing to to interject be willing to ask questions, but not, but not from a standpoint of, of disagreement, but understanding, you know? So I was just wondering, like, what, what did you think about? Why did you do this design this way? Because I, I, I see what you're saying, but you can have a conversation and be collaborative, be ready to push and pull and, and give a little to someone, but also take stuff from someone too. So that's, that's the other thing to, that those are the things that I think would be be an ideal client. And also last but not least, don't be a fucking asshole. That's a major factor. There's nothing that's serious in the food and beverage industry to where you have to be mean about it. I mean, basically any walk of life, unless you're like a drill sergeant in the army or something, but I don't think you need to be mean about the stuff. It's just, it's food, but at the end of the day, it's food. It's, it's, it should be fun and it should be the, you know, those things organized, trustworthy and, and collaborative. Excellent. Those are so helpful. And if a brand is looking for a design partner, do you have any tips about how they should go about sourcing someone to work with? Are there any red flags that they should look for or things that they should specifically make sure that an agency does? I mean, obviously, everyone should be reaching out to mind the font. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Don't ask anybody else. Just come to me. That's my advice. I think that when you're looking for a design partner, make sure you've seen work that they do, that they've done. Have the, have a talk with them about understanding and then see how it feels. It sounds weird, but see how it feels. It may be a fit where you're like, you don't feel right about going with someone or doing something. And you have to be able to kind of trust your gut on certain things and make sure that that you have all your stuff in a row, like I was saying before. So when you go to the designer and see how they respond and what their intentions are and, and what their attitude is towards you, make sure that they're not trying to, you know, wink in a gun. You're like, oh yeah, that's great. We can do this and do that. Just have a real, try to have a real conversation with people and see how they, how they react and respond when you're real with them. And that's, that would be my advice. I just recently was talking to someone about, about doing a bid for them and doing a job and, and they came across to me and they came to me like they already knew what they wanted. And I was looking at it. I'm like, okay, well, it seems like you already know what you want. And then me doing this is a just going to frustrate me because I'm not going to be able to really help you because you already have an idea of what you want. And B, it's just going to be a waste of time for you to come to me because I'm just going to give you stuff, but you already have your mind made up. So I kind of just said, hey, I, I really see what you guys are doing and it's great. I wish you nothing but continued success, but this isn't something I can bid on. And I trusted my gut. Like I went with my gut and I just it just didn't feel right. Not that they were a bad company, not that the person was me. It was actually a very nice exchange. It was just something that I didn't, I couldn't do because I couldn't, couldn't get out of, get it out of my head about what I was seeing or feeling. So when you go to a designer, when you go to any type of work, trust your gut and, and see how it feels. As you talk, I'm thinking about how just overall kind and generous you are when working with clients and generally wanting to help the community. How do you set boundaries for yourself so that you make sure that you're getting paid enough to do the work and advice that you give? Because I also am thinking we may have some listeners who are budding service providers or aspiring designers, and it's great to be able to offer free advice to people and work with them pro bono. But also, how do you make sure that at the end of the day that you make money and are able to continue to operate your business? I'm still trying to figure that out because I'm genuinely a, a trusting person and 
and I want to help. And that's my biggest downfall. I wish I had like a, a vulture of a, of a client procurer for me to kind of just go get the client and then bring me the work and let me do it. But I don't. I think that it doesn't hurt to talk. It doesn't hurt to give people advice. But before you do work, get a contract. Have it clearly stipulated what the scope of work is and what you're supposed to deliver on. And then go back to the contract saying, hey, you know, you signed this. And I had a client that was tripping on something. And I told them I cannot do any more work in good faith, knowing that you haven't paid me for work yet. So here's an invoice. And when you pay me, I'll give you the files. And I haven't heard back from them. And we actually had a pretty good relationship, I thought. And there's no, I mean, like there's no hard feelings. It's just, I'm not going to be continually taken advantage of. And you know what you're doing. That's the other thing. I'm genuinely a trusting person. And I'm not going to take advantage of something. I'm not going to, I'm not going to bullshit you and I'm not going to take advantage. I can bullshit all day, but I'm not going to bullshit you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'll talk shit and I'll shoot the shit, but I ain't going to bullshit because that's just not, it's not worth your reputation. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And the contract just basically, when you get it in writing, it just totally cements the fact that you're, that you need to follow that obligation of what you're going to do, that you're not going to be taken advantage of. And when things start going outside of the scope, you say, hey, as detailed in, in the contract, this is the rate now because you're starting to go outside of scope. Do you want to proceed? And miraculously, oftentimes I find that people magically find a solution to what they're working on when you say there's going to be more money involved. So it's just, it was it uh, trust people, but lock your car. That's, that's, that's how I feel. So trust people, but get a contract is what I would say. Are there any frequently asked questions that you get that you'd be willing to share that we can learn from? Yes. How much would it cost for you to do this for me? Like, I think what you can say to someone is, hey, would you mind if I sent you some information so I can accurately get a bid from you on how much it would cost for you to do something as opposed to how much do you charge? It's just, it's an on the spot question. And honestly, I'm going to charge Pepsi a lot fucking more than I would charge a startup. I'm just going to say it. Like, I mean, it's just it. It's not, it's not that the, the value is going to be different. It's just, I know what you can afford and I, and I can't work for free. And I, and I want to try to help. So when you come to someone and ask for services, make sure you you ask in a manner that's respectful of the time and also doesn't put someone on the spot. Like, well, how much do you charge for stuff? What do you charge? It's just kind of, it's not offensive. It's just difficult to answer. And so it makes someone feel like, well, I can't really just tell you a number. And usually those people are already ready to start looking for discounts and ways to get over on you. So that might be something. So people, when you go talk to a service provider, lay out what you're doing and then ask, is there a way that I can possibly get a proposal from you if I sent you the specific specs for work or something along those lines? I mean, I'm just paraphrasing, of course, how the conversation should go. I can't write you a script, but it's it's just a manner of how you approach something. You know, like euphemisms I mentioned earlier, you can't just say, tell someone their kid's ugly. You kind of have to think about a way to approach someone that's not offensive because it could be harmful to moving forward with someone. That's super helpful. And I think also just from a client perspective, like you're not going to get the best bid from the designer just asking them on the spot because they don't have enough information to give you an accurate estimate. So I think this is super helpful advice for how to approach the question of pricing. Yeah, I still get caught up in it when talking to someone. Hey, I have this going on. Like, OK, cool. How much would it cost? Well, let me think and get back to you. And then you don't drop a contract. You don't sign anything. And the next thing you know, other things get tacked on. And it's just like, shit, you 
you make the mistake and it's not, and I'm realizing too, it's not personal. It's just business. It's just figuring out how to protect yourself from getting fucked over. So that's what the contract's for. That's just having a, a amicable conversations about and, and figuring out how to best move forward with any anybody in the field, whether it be a designer or whether it be a product provider. We aren't people that just magically calculate things and do things by pushing buttons on a computer. It's like, it's well thought out. You're not paying for the 10 minutes it took. You're, you're paying for the 20 plus years of experience I have in how to solve stuff. So that's that's what is is most important and key when doing this. Are there any other frequently asked questions that you get? Is that your real hair? No, I'm kidding. That's not a question I get. But funny, funny story. I did have a client rub my head. Oh no. Yeah. So people, anybody don't, I'm trying the best way way to say this don't touch people's hair don't ask to touch people's hair it's just it was just it's kind of funny and one of my my friend was with me and he was working at the company and he just goes oh <laughs> like audibly oh yeah um not the best thing to do but yeah no that was that was just a question i thought of i can't really think of other questions that people ask other than how much do you charge oh when can i have this done is another one if you set a deadline if you say if you set a factor like hey i'm not sure about your availability but i need to have some stuff done within the next two weeks i want to make sure that i you know have all the ducks in a row here's what i need is it possible for you to do as opposed to talking to someone and getting them all done. okay when can you have this done and it's just it's one of the that's a pet peeve i'm thinking just pet peeve questions that's super helpful to know i would like to always try to be a better partner to vendors that i work with and i think part of our community is learning how to be better partners. So it's super, super helpful to know what your pet peeves are and what are the things that make it difficult to work with clients. So I really appreciate you sharing about that. I'd also love to hear about your other creative projects that you do outside of client work. I love following your Instagram and seeing the awesome things you put together. So can you tell us a little bit about some of your recent designs and ideas? Yeah. So my mind is basically there's there's usually about six or seven ideas floating around in my head at all times. And they're all different realms of things. Like I'm, I'm trying to write. I started like a clothing company. I'm working on a, a graphic novel. And in addition to design, I also like to make cocktails. So I have all these things in my head about different things I want to try and do. And sometimes when I'm working on a project and I always start with a pencil and paper and I just think of the word, I think of the brief and I just start drawing and I think about what works. And I jumble, make messes sometimes. Sometimes I'll go online and reference a possible font that has the feel of it. And I was working on something and I saw a font online, I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then I just kind of started sketching stuff out for it. And, and I was like, oh, what if this, that, that it's so sloppy. Like this font is just super sloppy. Like what if it just said slop? And it said SLOP. I'm like, dude, that is really fucking cool. What if I just added a P right here? And so I made it S-L-O-P-P and slop was born. And so from that, a sketch that I did, you can go on on my Instagram, on mine, the font. And if you go to like the the main page and see all the posts, you can see how it kind of all lines up together and you can read each each one. It's always a, a series of three. And I said, slop, what, what could you do with this? What could you do? I said, oh, it's a skateboard company. I don't know why, just slop skateboard. Like I can see like get that slop out of here. It could be like, could have been like a sporting brand or basketball company, but it had a feel to it where it was just like this loose, fun, irreverent kind of thing. And I spent about, I spent a total of about four hours, five hours on it. And that was sketching it out that was vectorizing it in Illustrator that was playing with colors. I was looking at images. Thank you, Unsplash, to kind of go with it. And then thinking of all the different 
media and formats it could be in. It could be on a trailer. It could be on a magazine. It could be in skate park. It could be, you know, on wheels. It could be on a deck. It could be on a shirt, a website. And I just thought of different ways to kind of bring it to life. And that's what it came up with. And, and that just was a spur of the moment sketch on a whim, you know, a, literally a, a one minute sketch turned into like a four hour, five hour project. And it feels, it feels good. Like sometimes things you just do it and it feels good and it was fun to work on. And, and I didn't have to worry about pleasing a client or pleasing anybody. It was just like me doing it for myself. And that's basically why I got into it was kind of to work for myself. Of course, I, you need clients to survive. That's anything unless you're independently wealthy. But on occasion, you, you should allow yourself to have a little fun doing your craft if you can. And that's what I did. Do you have anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up today? Yeah, I do. I, I always hear people say to me like, oh, I'm not creative. I'm not creative. Every single person is creative. It doesn't necessarily have to be art. It can be whatever. Like there's people who have problem solving skills when it comes to running a house, when it comes to running a business, when it comes like your creation is what you make of it. And you can always try art. You can always try doing stuff. Who cares? Have fun doing it. Have fun exploring and figuring things out. And also the biggest thing I can say, if you, if you don't know something, ask. There's plenty of people out there that are willing to help. Um, you have great resources like on the Slack channel on Strive CPG. And you can also just don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid. Oh, don't be afraid to try. Just Failures make you better. You learn from those failures. It's like, you know, if you got something right the first time you did it, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. But most people don't. They have to trial and error and figure things out. So don't be afraid to, to fail because, you know, don't be afraid to try because failures only make you better. What a great note to end on. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Kirk, and sharing with us. It's been so great to have you chat with everyone. I'll include lots of links in the show notes so they can follow you, join your clubhouse sessions, interact with you in the Slack community. I'm just really appreciative of everything you do for the Startup CPG community and everything you give back to the community in general. So thanks so much for taking the time to share space with me today. And thank you for having me and the Startup CPG fam. Hi, everybody. Love you all. And please just reach out to me any meeting you can. I try to respond to them all and, and we can have a conversation whether it's just a question or if you want some work done. Thanks for joining us. This Startup CPG podcast is executive produced by me, Jesse Freitag. Theme music is by the Super Fantastics. We'd love to have you join our community of founders and experts. Get the invite at startupcpg.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. It's the easiest way to help us grow our community. See you next time.